1996, author David Foster Wallace released his magnum opus, Infinite Jest, an 1,100-page post-postmodern takedown of the great American novel. It was a smash success all throughout the world. Unfortunately, it just wasn't very good. Famously dense and nigh unfinishable, the book earned a backlash as great as its praise. Join me, Jesse Dram, as we untangle this tale of boredom, addiction, and French-Canadian separatists in our quest of understanding on the I Hate Infinite Jest podcast. How are you doing out there in podcast listener land? You are listening to the I Hate Infinite Jest podcast, episode 9, pages 242 to 2. 70. How y'all doing? I hope you had a nice weekend. I'm having a I'm a, I'm a little drunk right now. I was hanging out with my buddy Neil Wood. Uh, I'm just going to promote some other people's podcasts. I know this podcast has a very weird reach beyond my uh, little circle. I was hanging out with my friend Neil Wood. Neil Wood is the host of the Nerds with Words podcast along with Adam Nutter. Um, other podcasts I think you should check out. You should check out You Fucked It. You can get you fucked it by putting a hashtag, well, hashtag, I guess a, a pound sign by by the old man name, uh, you fucked it, featuring Brian Six and Ryan Shaner, they're some Philly guys. Oral Presentations with Chris Wood is a great one. I'm a big fan of oral presentations. If you ever want to hear a book report written, written spoken through uh, the thickest Philly accent you have ever heard, Oral Presentations with Chris Wood is a great one. He had a good one the other day that was just a biography of Colonel Sanders. It was uh, pretty fascinating. Yeah. Our guest this week is Robin Parrish. Robin is a cartoonist, and she is a big-time David Foster Wallace fan. I'm trying to get back to the core of the show, having the big fans come back. Because I know you guys did not like that episode with Kevin Hufay. And I don't blame you. I got I got a little I got a little mean. I got a little mean. I'm trying to be better. Um this week was actually a very uh good chunk for us. The main chapter we dealt with was just a long conversation between Orrin and Hal, where Hal went in depth about uh the suicide of himself, James and Candenza Jr. via microwave, which was pretty goddamn guru gruesome sounding. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a dumb plebe, but, like, if you could just, Mr. Wallace, if you could just stop with all your razzmatazz and just give me a conversation between two people, I'll be a happy boy. I know I'm not who you're writing this for anyway, but I'd ask if you please acquiesce to my specific literary taste. Also, if you could do that 24 years after you write it and 12 years after you died, that would be much appreciated. Thanks. Now, I did uh, really like this chapter. So, like I said, Robin is a cartoonist. You can find her stuff at reparishcomics.com. That is R-E-P-A-R-R-I-S-H comics.com. And, uh, yeah, she has some really interesting shit on there. This is a great episode. I I had a good time talking with Robin. She is yet another one. She is... uh, was recommended by, I believe he was episode four, Ven Melker. She was recommended by him as a friend who, you know, 
both love David Foster Wallace. She said that she really got into him. Her her take is unique. She said that she really got into him through uh, Tumblr. And apparently on Tumblr, there is a good deal of female David Foster Wallace fans. Which is pretty, pretty interesting if you think there, it's like, you know, a, a, a Hawaiian Buddhist sect. Like, I'm sure there's some. I just didn't think there'd be that many. Um, she is a huge fan of David Foster Wallace, which means I guess I pretended to like the book for this episode. Now, that's not it. It just it happened to sync up that way. And ooh, I am I'm looking out here and I see my rabbit chewing on something. I can't identify what it is. Iggy, what the fuck are you eating i'm gonna be right back i need to make sure my rabbit's not eating something poisonous okay false alarm it was a sock it looked like a piece of eggplant it was dark and purple i had just cooked eggplant i don't know if rabbits can eat eggplant these are these are the things one does not prepare for in life can your rabbit eat eggplant will your parents die young what will you do you don't plan for these things they just happen and sometimes your parent dying is just a sock that a rabbit felt was worth sniffing uh oh yeah robin robin has some good comics out there we discuss a few things in this we discuss uh interesting grieving tactics we we got into a little thing about the films by ari aster hereditary midsummer cannot recommend them enough um, she also really recommended uh, some Pinchon bias. Maybe when we're done, David Foster Wallace, maybe this becomes a Pinchon podcast. I don't know. Let's just make this narrower. I want to. I want to whittle the listening uh, demographic. That's the word. Did I mention I'm drunk? Blame Neil. Listen to needs with nerds of words. He got me drunk. I want to whittle the demographic of this podcast down to like a single sliver of a person who is ambivalent about David Foster Wallace, but loves Pinchon, but listens to prog metal and really has a boner for anything Ari Aster touches. If they like bunnies, all the fucking better. I will name that person Harold. Harold, you are my one and only fan. I've been making this podcast all for you. It's all for you, Harold, since day one. Guys, I just ruined the fucking life of somebody named Harold. So please listen to this podcast, again, with Robin, Robin Parrish. You can find her stuff at R-E. Parish, P-A-R-R-I-S-H, comics.com. Find her as Robin Parish, R-E Parish, on all the things. I'm going to try to link some of I'm going to put the links in the description of this. Check out the episode. Oh, also, didn't get around to <laughs> recording a new theme song. God, I am I'm not good at this. All right, hold on, hold on. Let's see if we can do something here. Let's see if we can do something here. How long is this mic cord. One second. Okay. Here we go. It's a jest and it's infinite. I just can't seem to get into it. But I'm gonna try 
with the help of David Foster, Wallace guys and girls, they're gonna show me the way to the Pale King, and we're gonna do it. I never claim to be an improviser. I'm simply doing my best, which is not that good. Guys, I hate Infinite Jest. Episode 9 with Robin Parrish. I fucked up and signed off too soon. Follow me at Jesse Dram, that is J-E-S-S-E, D-R-A-H-A-M, that is on Facebook, that is on Twitter, that is on Instagram, on Reddit, you can still find me under the very unprofessional Diamond Joe Quim. Again, I wasn't going for dirty, I wanted Diamond Joe Quimby, and I ran out of letters. I'm sorry. So find me on there, send me an email at jessedram.com. We have a few guests coming up, I actually need to schedule them. I'm in a scheduling booking kick right now and I need to get back to people everybody wants to do the same fucking show I'm not good at this but uh yeah send me an email on there let me know we have some authors coming up on the show which I'm really we're gonna we're classing this place up a little bit that's right you might notice me using bigger words so as not to seem intimidated by people far more educated than myself but uh yeah Check out in the weeks to come. Again, Jesse Dram at all the things. Jesse Dram at gmail.com. Jesse Dram at all the things besides Reddit, where I am at Diamond Joe Quim. Uh, Joe's Bro 93, I did not forget about you. I'm going to send you an email as soon as I'm done this fucking podcast. I'm sorry. I've been meaning to get back to you. He's been a great evangelist for us on Reddit. He's been posting new episodes coming out to weather the downvotes. Again, the Infinite Jest subreddit, you're good people. David Foster Wallace subreddit, they don't care for my fucking shit. And I just, I need to learn to live with that. Okay, my rabbits are looking at me. They're very hungry. I guess they want more socks to eat. Goodbye. And we are recording. Welcome to the I Hate Infinite Jest podcast. Our guest this week, uh, on recommendation of Ven Melker from episode four, I think, is uh, Robin Parrish. Robin, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm super excited to be here. Um, didn't know that there were Infinite Just specific podcasts in the world, so uh, really excited to be on one. The funny, this is not the first one. I actually saw there was like one or two that were like, read-alongs i have no idea how successful they or even or even if they finished i don't know but uh Mm -hmm. yeah i i toyed with this idea for a long time because i had no i i really had the thought like who is this podcast for Mm -hmm. like because i mean thankfully it turns out people have had a bit of a sense of humor about you know the way i've put it is that if people love something obsessively they'll like somebody kind of needling at it as long as it's just as obsessive. Of course. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, what is, uh, do you have anything to to promote? Um, I am a cartoonist. uh, So yeah, I do comics about literature, movies, stuff like that. Um, So those are at 
R-E-P-A-R-R-I-S-H comics.com, R-E Parish Comics. Um, okay. I've done a couple about David Foster Wallace in the past, so. Okay, R-E Parish Comics. I'm going to have to put that in the link. And I'm a little bummed that I didn't uh, check them out before we got here. But... <laughs> Sorry, I completely like did not think about that. It's, uh, listen, we're all, we're all living in a slow-moving apocalypse right now. It's okay, mm-hmm. so. Uh, so what is your, lit- I mean, obviously you must love literature quite a bit if you took it to a whole new medium of, uh, you know, cartooning and illustration. Um, where, where does the love come from? What's, what's your literary background as far as like what got you into it? What, what's your favorites? Um, so I have no like formal background in, in literature other than like the usual, you know, secondary education like I I took one literature class in college I was a linguistics major so um I took a Dostoevsky class in college because he's my favorite author ever which like nice you know I don't know if you know about the David Foster Wallace Dostoevsky connection thing I kind of I I keep hearing about it I'm I'm not seeing it aside aside from like a, a structural like oh there are three sons Okay. Right. Well, actually, I think, have you read Brothers Karamazov? Yes, it's one of my favorites. I'm actually, uh, okay. I'm, I'm reading a new translation of it right now in between Infinite Jests. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah. So there are some conversations between the brothers in this book that are close to conversations that the Karamazov brothers have. And other than that, I think it's David Foster Wallace's sort of um, tendency to focus on trying to because this whole thing is like trying to sort of power through the irony and try to find meaning um in late 90s life kind of a deal sort of like Dostoevsky where he thinks that it it is good to sort of strive for some sort of morality which I guess during the 90s was not a popular opinion okay yeah no I could definitely see that you know we actually don't talk about it in this chapter but i'm reading ahead Mm -hmm. i have been posting online since i've seen it uh when we meet the character jeffrey day i hate him (laughs) such a bad but he he seems to be the ant the the the, uh hypothesis Mm -hmm. he he seems to be the pinnacle of exactly that kind of like 90s character like you know Mm -hmm. he shows up to the aa like you know i'm here to live by cliches like you know oh it's what one of those assholes like you know oh if i can if i can interpret any way in which this is built then that therefore nullifies it because only a great pure truth which you can't see the zipper on is you know mm-hmm. is worthy yeah the 90s were a terrible time it sounds like it like uh reading any of his other essays like the one about like TV and fiction where he mm-hmm. talks about like his his concerns about the culture back then like a yikes sounds horrible wouldn't know what that's like like i wasn't really yeah. conscious during that time and and b like uh, like if that, that was the shit you were worried about oh my god like <laughs> like about television and stuff i was like you have no idea what's coming dude oh god i but, read uh, are, are you familiar with uh, the youtuber Lindsay ellis at all mm-hmm, yeah i love her takedown of reality bites and oh yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. but the classic line she has and that is like oh i'm so sorry you're having such a hard time deciding which Mm -hmm. well-paying job in your chosen field to accept right out of college you fucking uh the the clinton 90s people (laughs) you had nothing to be angsty about i know it's so bad (laughs) yeah 
just um, listening to all those interviews where it's like we're at the sort of pinnacle of america's you know wealth and such such and such but still people in my generation are, are so sad and it's like i get that but hearing this makes me angry so <laughs> right. well if you look at that that goes back to a lot of like uh because it was the same thing in the 50s with like the beats that like mm -hmm. you know they had like uh, we don't you know there's got to be something more out there the only difference i think between that and the 90s is that in the 90s like the previous generation had like you know reaganomics which while mm -hmm. not great the whole thing with the 50s and the beats is they were rebelling like ah oh, this is boring suburbia meanwhile the previous generation like oh yeah no uh we went out to war at 18 and mm -hmm. i saw my you know best friends die in the mud i've had enough excitement for one lifetime i'll take the picket fence thank you very much right so they literally could not understand why they rebelled whereas like the 90s it's just I don't know. I, I there has to be a dissertation out there somewhere on why exactly the '90s got so angsty and you know, ironic. But oh well, for a different time. How did you discover David Foster Wallace? Um, I think initially it was because someone tried to sell me on it because of the the Karamazov and Condensa thing, okay. which I at the time was like bullshit, you know. But I do see it now, so um, okay. It's not, I think, the main thing like that you could compare it to, but uh, um, and so I started reading it when I was uh, I did a semester abroad in college in Japan, so I was like alone a lot, um, like taking trains to random places in Tokyo by myself, and I would just like bring that book. Um, so good memories associated with reading it for the first time, and I was also uh, sort of going going through it. I was, I just turned 20 um, and I was experiencing some of the things that, that the characters in the book were experiencing. So it was like a good time in my life to read it as well. Okay. Yeah. That does seem to be a crux that we keep hitting upon that people who read this book who absolutely love it, they get it right around like 17 to 20. Right. And it really gets into them. I, I think that I, I've been realizing this lately that I think part of the reason this book doesn't get to me is I just feel like other artists got to me just a little, a little bit sooner. Mm -hmm. So mu much like Jeffrey Day, I'm kind of the dickhead. It's like, ah, Kurt Vonnegut said that in 1973. So <laughs> yeah, just because you said it a little different, it's not as good, I guess. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> um, let me ask, as, as a female David Foster Wallace fan, I'm sorry, I'm sure you must have seen this coming. No, but, no, I gotcha. Uh, Don't worry. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, usually uh, one of the big takes you tend to hear from women is just how men almost kind of, I don't want to use harass because it's too, you know, obviously that's a loaded word these days, but mm -hmm. uh, tend to harass women about this book. And yet you seem to be somebody who actually took to it. So how does that, how does that affect your interactions with like the lit bro DFW community? Right. You said to have one. I feel like I am secretly like the biggest lip bro of them all. Like, <laughs> like I feel like I can mansplain this book better than anyone out there. So, um, <laughs> but no, I think initially I did have that impression because it's just sort of a thing people say on the internet. And it's that thing of like, oh, I read this really glib joke about a book on the internet. Let me just parrot that instead of actually reading the book. Oh, um, the, the, the complaint itself is a little bit like a meme and like any other right. meme, whether it be planking or whatever, even if you're annoyed by it, a little part of you is like, oh my God, somebody's suggesting David Foster Wallace to me. Now 
I have a story. Now I fit mm-hmm. the meme. So. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was a male friend who told me to read it, um, but he wasn't like a douchebag or anything. So uh, I, I didn't have any uh, annoying person recommending it to me. I became the annoying person, like I said. Um, and I find that like the, the sort of stereotype of only guys like it is not really true. Um, at least in my opinion or, or in my experience, because uh, like I met then on, on Tumblr, I think just like through okay. infinite jest stuff on Tumblr and, Honestly, most of those people are women, so. Um, oh, well, Tumblr, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so it's probably not, like, the best representation, but most of my friends who like um, Infinite Jest and also who like Thomas Pynchon, they're all girls. So I don't know about that stereotype, but. I need to give Pynchon a try after this. because You should. He obviously so good. Comes, he comes up a lot. With oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> He's so good. Okay. Um, um, yeah. All right. Well, I guess let's get into this week's chapter. Awesome. Uh, for those of you reading along at home, I don't know if anybody is actually doing that, but I would be very flattered if you did. Uh, pages 242 to 270. This is from the Big Blue publication. I really should look up which specific publisher this is, just in case there's any kind of... Yeah, I have the... Oh, you have a funky one. All right. Yeah, this um, is the UK version because I like the cover better. Oh, <laughs> I, okay. I used to live in the UK. <laughs> okay. Deep cut. Nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So uh, first chunk, 242 to 258. Again, just feel free to interrupt whenever you have something to say. Mm-hmm. We, we play it loosey-goosey here. Um, November 5th, year of the Depend Adult Undergarment. We have a long conversation between Oren and Hal. Oren starts with Mr. Incandenza. This is the Enfield Raw Sewage Commission. And frankly, we've had enough shit out of you. Very nice. Uh, Hal is clipping his toenails and is in the zone as he has it angled perfectly to launch the nails successfully into a nearby trash bin. Oren hates the sounds of nail clippers. He is in Tucson where the landscape is actively on fire. Have they addressed why Tucson is always on fire yet? I do not remember, actually. Um, so it's been okay. like a year and a half since I last read this. Mm-hmm. So I read this section, but not any of the others right. recently. So how, how many times do you think you've read this book? Only twice. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it is a big one. So um, we have a brief discussion on superstitions amongst athletes, how some athletes will say the exact same words to the exact same people before important games refusing any deviation uh do you have any fun superstitions you go by i'm not a very superstitious person i feel like in this conversation it's very related to sports and i was i played basketball for eight years but i was terrible so like i (laughs) because you didn't have any superstitions clearly i was doing it wrong (laughs) yeah absolutely i don't think like i remember Oh, I guess I do still kind of do this. Uh, Growing up, whenever I'd be driving with my grandmother, if she drove past a Catholic church, she would say a Hail Mary. Mm. And I don't I don't actively do it, but I think about it every single time, like just Mm. a little bit. So Mm -hmm. there's that. I guess when when my sister and I were kids, we learned about like holding your breath when you drive past graveyards, but we never actually believed in that. We just thought it was like a fun thing to do. It's a fun challenge. Um, Yeah. (laughs) 
So it, yeah, absolutely. I do have a tradition. Northern Virginia. I'm oh, sorry. okay. No, no, no. I, I, my family did have a tradition when I was a kid going to funerals, which uh, my mom thought was horribly ghoulish. But the first funeral I ever went to uh, was like my great aunt. And I remember my stepdad started to, there's like this child's rhyme. It's never laugh when a hearse passes by because you may be the next to die. And it's this whole long, really disgusting song about like wor <laughs> worms eating you in your grave. But oh, I think I know this song. Yeah. Okay. Like, your guts come out like shaving cream. Your eyes fall back. Your teeth decay. Just, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. realizing as I tell this story, this might be why I'm such a morbid adult mm. in real life. But yeah, I remember that very much. Anyway, that's not superstition. That's tradition. Anyway. <laughs> um, no, I, I loved grotesque shit as a kid. Yeah. And also as an adult, I'm like, hell yeah. Halloween. Are yeah. you bummed out the new one is getting pushed back? Or are you more the classics? So I have a lot of opinions on the new one um, <laughs> because I am like one of those douchebags who really only likes the original, like the first movie and that's oh, it. Like, I don't, I don't know if we stated out right just because this isn't a video podcast, but we are video conferencing. She is wearing a Halloween t-shirt. Oh yeah. 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 Michael Myers. <laughs> Absolutely. I adore the first movie. And when they were like, we're going back to the spirit of the first movie, I was like, okay, you know, they're, they're, retconning everything except the mm -hmm. first movie i will go see this like jamie lee curtis as as a grandma paranoid i love it like mm -hmm. this seems like a great idea and like the premise was so cool and i was so so um looking forward to it and then what they ended up doing was did you see the 2018 yeah. one yeah, yeah yeah i saw it yeah so instead of doing what they said they would do which is like sticking to the spirit of the original carpenter halloween just like you know very tense kind of minimal mm -hmm. like uh what they did was just recreate the exact same killings from the first movie and it's like that's yeah. not what that uh that's not what i thought you meant by that and is mm -hmm. way stupider like <laughs> It's I mean, like, you know, people would like it even if you didn't do that, right? Like, Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it, it, they're realizing at this point that sequels don't make money. But if you sell it as a reboot, like people will go to every fucking reboot you make, particularly if it's a horror movie, mm -hmm. just because those characters are so the, the I think the only thing I really liked about the new one and even that I'm, I'm kind of ambivalent. It was just the first time to see it is uh, to just see because they like I know there's a single long shot where they show Michael Myers killing like several people going from mm -hmm. house to house and to actually see like the visceral brutality of it because he's like hacking motherfuckers up mm -hmm. uh i i don't know i i have my own uh, i've been to a few like horror movie marathons and one of the things i kind of dislike is like one of these horror movie marathons they played like a nightmare before elm street and then the movie after they showed was henry portrait of a serial killer and a bunch of people got up and walked out for that one hmm. and that one it's a little bit like guys i mean it's i know it's kind of brutal but it it bothers me to learn that a lot of horror fans that like oh no we only like the fun silly aspects right. of people being murdered like it, the, look at the you know the filth and grime of it a little bit too. Yeah, no, I get that. All right. Anyway. Yeah, I, well, I feel like with the 2018 thing, my biggest gripe was like, they could have done something really cool exploring themes, like how, you know, I, I wouldn't want them to to hammer this too much, but, but you know, uh, 
Laurie Strode's life was destroyed. She has PTSD and it sort of ruined her relationships with her daughter and her granddaughter because she's just so paranoid. They, I feel like that was such a cool thing to, to sort of focus on. And they did focus on it for like the first 30 minutes. And then they just dropped it and being like, watch him murder some teens again. And it's like, mm. I feel like it could have just been more focused on Lori, who is the interesting character here. But right. Um, they could have, they could have gotten more into the, the struggle and the, well, actually that goes exactly into what I was just saying that enough horror movies, they don't really like they're they're just there for like the glitz and the gore as opposed to like mm-hmm. any kind of the trauma or examination of how this actively affects a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who survives? I have to ask now. Like this. Uh, yeah. like what's this is a movie that I love but is super polarizing. Did you see Hereditary? I fucking love Hereditary. Okay, thank you. Ex- but that's exactly it. Like what's so scary about that is the actors reactions to just the worst thing that could happen yeah which i I feel like in most horror movies they don't let the actors do or they don't encourage them to do or they don't mm -hmm. focus on um so uh, upsetting (laughs) so upsetting you know this actually ties right into me and my girlfriend have been on a big twin peaks kick right now oh yeah hell yeah i love twin peaks yeah (laughs) but uh one of the things going into making that show that david lynch really wanted to show is like they always have like a victim of the week they don't show like you know, it's always like, oh, how do we solve this mystery? Whereas, like, in real life, there would be an entire family just mm-hmm. gutted by this death, and you exactly. don't even meet them. But one of the great things about Hereditary, can you think of any other horror movie where, like, a main character gets decapitated, and then it's their mother processing the grief mm-hmm. for 40 mm-hmm. fucking minutes? Like, oh, that was... I sorry, I'm a big Ari Aster stan, same, I think is same. the word. I cannot, yeah. I cannot wait to see what else he does. I'm super excited as well. Uh, which is funny because I just saw Ven posted the other day that he was watching Midsummer for the first time and did not care for it. No, I, I feel like I had to mansplain that movie as well. <laughs> like I hopped into Ven's DMs and is like, actually what you didn't understand. Um, <laughs> I, I so. understand I understand you didn't like this movie. Let me tell you how it's you like, are wrong. It's like, that's not the correct opinion. There is actually a right way to watch this movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. Um, ooh, another uh, morbid detail. A segment of Quebecers, I, I think this is like a small chunk, they said, will drill a hole through a grave straight through the coffin to ensure the spirit has an easy access escape. Good enough. Oren has started picking up on people in wheelchairs who have been following him around. I, I like that little detail, how it's just kind of like creeping in on him. Mm-hmm. Very, uh, very, uh, I don't know. It, it's a good tension builder, but also kind of funny as well. Yes, I'm still, it's, I, I, I'm well aware of the, uh, the, the Quebec wheelchair assassination squad, but I do want to see them in action. You will, trust me. Okay. <laughs> there is a, a scene with them that is stuck in my mind forever and could not be removed, even if I want it to, which I kind of do. Okay. So <laughs> you have a lot to look forward to there. Nice. Uh, one of the notes I have here is uh, this section is absolutely lousy with the sentences starting with and so but. Mm-hmm. Which I yeah, know. Yeah, the, the little tick. I, ugh, okay. Sorry, just need to point it out. Uh, Oren is panicking about the reporter from Moments Magazine doing a profile on all the players. They're asking about the family. So mm-hmm. he is trying to get some information out of Hal. Pretty <laughs> just, just the fun, like having to copy off somebody else for their own biography. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I do love the weird little thing he drops in here 
he just drops a hint that the report reporter woman is quite physically imposing like a linebacker, but she's weirdly sexy. Mm-hmm. And all the other football players have been flirting with her pretty hard just to realize that this is uh, Helen Steeply. Yeah, who, absolutely. <laughs> every description we've seen has just been how grotesque and inaccurate they're presenting as a female with mm-hmm. uh, cockeyed tits and whatnot. Yeah, no. So it, it makes you wonder if that's just like, um, what is it, Marath's ver- Marath, like, yeah. like perception of Helen versus like everyone else's? I don't know. <laughs> so, Hard to well, say. I actually, I don't know if you're, uh, you're probably aware of this person because you mentioned Tumblr and illustration, but I found somebody mm-hmm. on Tumblr that goes under the name Infinite Jensen, who has done. I actually don't know. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, this person has done a bunch of sketches of scenes from the book, which mm-hmm. has actually helped me a little bit because particularly starting this book, for me, it, at, at least at first, everybody is just so out there. It's kind of hard to feel a connection to anyone. So having these little illustrations actually kind of helped me like picture mm-hmm. a little bit just because it, it takes a while for the tone of this book to really kind of like latch together for me. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, no, I may, I'll look that up. I may have seen the pictures. So I just, I'm not familiar with the name, but okay, I'll yeah. take, check it out. Infinitejensen.tubler.com. That is J-E-N-S-E-N. I know we mentioned him on here before. Cool. Uh, we find out Oren didn't go to himself's funeral. <laughs> and the rumor is before he died, himself had already moved out of the same bedroom as his wife. And CT had already moved in further. We're, we're getting a lot of breadcrumbs here on some stuff. Uh, CT fucking his sister seems to be <laughs> one of them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we finally, ooh, again, we, we, you picked a good shirt for this one because we're talking yeah. the gory details of himself suicide mm-hmm. being presented for the first time. Uh, we know that he stuck his head in a microwave, but now we get the details from Hal. He cut a perfect hole in the microwave glass and wore an aluminum foil necklace as a sealant to stick his head in and turned it on and blew up his own head. Mm-hmm. Hal, age 13. How old is Hal in the book, by the way? He is 16, I believe. He's 16. I have been picturing him younger this entire time. No, I believe he's okay. 16. Yeah. Okay. Well, that explains that. Uh, Hal, age 13, was the one who found him. And prior to seeing the gory scene, he first noted how delicious the house smelled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I do, I do have a fun little side story about that. Uh, oh, yeah? When I was like, I think it was 15, me and my friends were blowing stuff up in the woods. As you do, you know, fun stuff. Sure. And so we blow stuff up, we put the fire out, and then we start walking back to my house. And while we're walking, my friend mentions like, somebody's barbecuing. That's, that's kind of weird for the fall. And pretty much we got home and I, I burned down a good chunk of the woods and almost a house in our neighborhood, which, eh. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thank God that one worked out. Yeah, hopefully no one was <laughs> killed or anything. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm sure some squirrels died, but probably I, they would have died of natural causes anyway, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, himself died April Fool's Day he had been down in his editing bay piecing together the entertainment footage he'd shot with Joel for a month Mm -hmm. Joel had only filmed with him on the condition he quit drinking Um, Hal considered which authority figure he should tell about his father but found shtit first Mm -hmm. there'd been a big bottle of wild turkey open nearby so he relapsed Am am I getting that right they said that he like relapsed before he did all that 
Yeah. Said his head exploded with the force of two sticks of dynamite due to the vacuum seal. Hey. Uh, Hal was in shock and traumatized after. Numb, no feelings. Kept dreaming of a toothy face in the floor. Oh, God, I love that chapter so much. Now, like, that's early on, isn't it? It is, but wasn't that... I could have sworn that was somebody else dreaming of a face in the floor. I'm pretty sure it was Hal. I mean, it was it was written from the first person, and this is my vague memory, wasn't it? Like, I think... I'm, I'm trying... I'm almost certain it wasn't. It was somebody who was... They, they were, like, sick for the first few chunks of... Uh, no, they, they were, like, sick, and they had to miss their first round of matches. I don't think it was Pemulus. Maybe it was Oxford or something. Mm. But yeah, I would have to look that up for sure. Yeah, my bad. I should have gone. But um, good. Oh, so yeah, he uh, Hal wasn't doing well in the grief counseling because pretty much they wouldn't accept that he was feeling nothing. So Lyle, the sweat guru, instructed <laughs> Hal to be considerate of the grief counselor's point of view and to just give them what they wanted. Mm-hmm. So he puts on a nice little performance of accusing the therapist of invalidating his feelings of not having any feelings, which is making him feel toxically guilty for not feeling anything, which uh, that's a nice little logic pretzel. I like that yeah. though. I don't you mm-hmm. like that? Um, okay. I have here uh, grief tactics. Do you, have you ever had a particularly weird way you've grieved a death or some kind of tragedy in life? Um, That's a big question to just throw at somebody. I apologize. No, I think the only thing that's coming to mind, and I haven't lost a lot of people who are close to me yet, so hopefully not for a while. I don't know. Coronavirus. Fingers um, crossed. Ah. Yeah, I know. Um, uh, I think the weirdest one, and, and now I'm going to talk about a different book again, uh, Alice by Philip K. Dick. I'm sorry. Say that one more time. You broke up for a second. Just, just, oh, yeah, the, sorry. A, just the name of the book. Valis, V-A-L-I-S. Ah, okay. Um, so that is, uh, when I read that, it kind of reminded me of, of sort of a, the type of magical thinking that I engaged in after I had a, a you know, a good friend from college um, commit suicide. Uh mm. And I sort of found myself not necessarily like completely like delusionally believing, but like, like really indulging in these like uh, fantasies about having been transported to like the wrong timeline, like a, like a parallel timeline. That's like the wrong one, Um, which, you know, it's not like I, again, I wasn't delusional or anything, but it was really, really indulging these things that were clearly unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Um, So that that's probably the, the one that I can think of. Yeah. Now grief is weird like that. Like I remember after my father passed away, one of the really strange things is anytime I saw uh, he drove a crown Vic. So anytime I'd be driving and I'd see a crown Vic, I'd have that usual reflex of like, mm-hmm. Oh, that's my dad. Even though when I saw that car, I was inside the crown Vic that oh, I'd inherited. Wow. So yeah, mistaking the car I'm seeing for the car I'm actually in. Wow. Just, yeah, grief is weird like that. I also, I, I kept having dreams about him where he had been dead and he was just back and we just didn't discuss it. Mm. Like, he was just back one day and just like, yeah, if somebody who died suddenly just invited you over to their house, they're like, yeah, just don't bring up the death thing. It would be, it would be awkward. I don't want to upset your stepmom, that kind of shit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
Um, let's see. Uh, bah, bah, bah. Oh, okay. I still have some notes on the grief counselor. Uh, put on a whole production of, oh, do you want me to say I wish I'd lost my game sooner so I'd be home in time to stop him? So making a production about his feelings, he gave the grief counselor the boxes to check to make him feel like he'd actually falsely accomplished something. Oren processes all the horrible information and says he can water that down into something from Moments Magazine. <laughs> good, old, yeah. good old Oren really, really taking <laughs> his brother's feelings into account there. Of course. Oh, and then the weird little detail that I found funny. Hal mentions that the grief counselor always kept his hands hidden. And when he revealed them, this large man had the hands of a four-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. It's very David Lynch kind of. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be doing a side episode on because we I've been in a Twin Peaks kick right now. We're definitely gonna be doing a side thing on his essay on David Lynch. Yes, awesome. Nice. Um, okay, next chunk two fifty eight to two seventy. I believe that's the rest of our chapter. Um, yeah. All right, we have the Enfield matches versus the Port Washington Tennis Academy. Massive competition with 36 courts under one dome. Each year, the academy that loses has to climb the buffet tables at the banquet afterwards and sing a silly song. However, there is supposedly a private submissive humiliation amongst the losing headmasters, but it is both private and considered much more humiliating and nefarious. (laughs) And I think, wasn't there a detail about like Mm -hmm. CT or somebody just like very upsettedly and uncomfortably getting into a limo, not looking or saying anything to anyone? Yeah. He's on, like, the bus, and he keeps having to go to the bathroom, and he, like, looks really <laughs> upset. <laughs> do we, do yikes, we... yikes. <laughs> yeah. Um, this year, Enfield is looking good for two reasons. Number one, the acquisition of Montreal Quebecer John Wayne. And two, the sudden explosion in talent of Hal Incandenza. Though this explosion has not been addressed to Hal himself, the same way nobody talks to or acknowledges a pitcher in the middle of a no-hitter. Um, Hal's style is to play safely, probing and pecking weaknesses, and then attacking vociferously once that weakness has been found. Several opponents have needed oxygen treatment after playing him, said it is, he is one of the best left-hand serves ever seen. Um, I think this is supposed to be based on how Wallace used to play tennis, like that sort of style where, like he said, it's sort of like an attrition thing. Like he would like wait and wear someone down. And then there's like a really funny essay where he's like, it's not even a a cool way to win. I just like (laughs) wear someone down and then, and then score one ugly point at the end. (laughs) Like it's not even fun to watch. (laughs) But see my, when I immediately thought about that, the only thing I can think of, uh, I'm not, huge into sports really but mm-hmm. it makes me think of boxing where uh like do you know floyd mayweather he's like one of the biggest boxers in the last generation oh uh, yeah i know of him yeah right well the thing is he's known for he's known because he has this big personality and he really flaunts his money but the truth is he is one of the most boring boxers in the world mm-hmm. he only gets by like defensively he's only knocked out like one person ever and it's the, the fact that he became this huge star despite being famously boring by just like covering up and letting a guy hit him and then just like getting one good shot every now and again, mm-hmm. which I mean, I don't know. It's one of those things about, I think part of the reason I don't like sports is I loved sports movies growing up so much. Gotcha. And real sports is so far away from like real sports is really about that attrition, like, 
winning by inches as opposed to movies where it's like he thought about his dad there and that's why he got a touchdown. <laughs> yeah, it really, it's true. <laughs> it really robs the romance from the situation. Yeah, um, I, my my roommate actually I got him to read the uh, Infinite Jest last year, and he was big into soccer as like a high schooler. So okay. like, and he was like actually good at sports, um, mm-hmm. like actually did sports, and so he really liked all the sports stuff in this. Not that I don't like it, but mm-hmm. I just can't relate. <laughs> so I mean, I will say out of everything I've read by Wallace so far, um, how Mary Austin broke my heart might be my favorite. Mm-hmm. Just because mm-hmm. I do think he really did kind of, I I love that paradox that he just kind of. I feel like he was right. worded it for the first time that you read the, the genius th- in motion but cannot articulate anything about it. Exactly that yeah. like <laughs> you you want to know what it's like to be inside this person's head and operate mm-hmm. at that incredible level, but the honest to god truth is to operate at that level you need to not think about it in the first place. So it right. is just forever shrouded in mystery. Right. Um, what do I have here? Oh, uh, we get some details about John Wayne that he was discovered as a six year old by himself while interviewing him for the film about men named John Wayne who are not the actual John Wayne. Um, he has lost his Canadian citizenship, it has been revoked. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, we're gonna hear more about that. Um, Pemulus is not feeling well, he has stomach issues. As you can tell, I really just write these up as I go with no idea what's important yeah, and yeah. what's not. No worries. There's just so much fucking detail. Um, Mario is there filming, making an end of year documentary like every other year that gets distributed to alumni, patrons, and guests at the pre Thanksgiving fundraising exhibition. I'm really starting to like Mario. Which I love him. I know. Yeah, they said he's like the only. The Alyosha, Alyosha yeah. analog. Yeah. It, Who's the best Karamazov? Not the one right. I relate to, okay. but he's the best one. <laughs> okay. I'm starting to put this together now. So he's definitely Alyosha. Mm-hmm. Um, I get, yeah, I guess Dimitri has to be Oren. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And Hal is Yvonne, the, the relatable uh, dork. Is there a Smerdyakov anywhere? Um, that's a good question, actually. Hmm. I, I mean, bet I, that there I, could, you can make an argument for some people, but. I mean, at least in like the origins, I guess you could put a little bit of Smerdyakov in Mario as well, just because he is the mm. off one. So. Yeah, which but he's I, so nice. He's yeah. so nice. Which I guess that would make CT stinking Liza Vetta, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you also get into the whole like Hamlet thing, so it kind of gets mixed mm. with the like the you know mom and dad and CT and that that's sort of a Hamlet thing going right. on there. Yeah. When we talk about the structure of this book, I know everybody talks about the Serpinski gasket, and once it's done, I want to like really dive into you know what I'm talking about, right? Where uh so wallace has said that he tried to structure the book to be like a oh sur- yeah, yeah yeah no 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 so <laughs> that's my opinion on this was um i had only heard like i forget what it was like out of context where he's like this book is structured like a fractal and he, mm-hmm. he didn't specify what kind of fractal so i came up with my own theory about how it was a fractal and i was like that totally makes sense and then i heard his actual explanation and i was like no so i'm like very biased i was like i know better than you david okay i know how it's a nice. fractal you you don't so i mean hey if he if he said it just to fuck with people i would admire that so much so what he said was there's a lot that got cut. I mean, there's like hundreds of pages that got cut. So it ended up not actually being structured like that as mm-hmm. much as he would like. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. 
still i do love i i don't remember which band it was it, it might have been like mike Patton or one of the mr bungle bands where i think th there was some band that said in an interview that like oh yeah we really structured this album around the fibonacci sequence sequence and a bunch of fans and only revealed like 10 years later like oh yeah no <clears throat> i was uh i was fucking with you guys <laughs> so just like hours of research done <clears throat> pardon me okay um Oh yeah, Pemulus has an upset stomach. To avoid thinking of his upset stomach, Pemulus repeats, I have no stomach. Which is a weird thing I've heard before. I, I once knew a guy who had like a horrible foot infection and rather than get it treated, he just said, I try to pretend I don't have feet. I don't understand that mentality, but okay. It, it's, it definitely is related to like the shut in, I'm peeing in jars to avoid going upstairs and using the mm -hmm. bathroom kind of mm -hmm. mentality. Right. Um, we have a little comment on the girls playing tennis. The girls' teams grunting so gutturally they'd be humiliated to ever hear the recording, <laughs> which I feel like has become a <laughs> meme. <so> funny. <laughs> yeah, mm. it's like a very teenage boy thing to say. Uh, it's it's kind of accurate, I guess. But... <laughs> yeah. Um, Pemulus, Pemulus always notes how he sobers up before a competition but does not seem to connect his, his trick stomach he gets at every competition as in any way related to some kind of relapse or yearning for drug, for a drug. Right. So I have a dumb medical story that aligns to this. Let me know if you All have right. one too. I sure. have uh, I have a mostly under control anxiety disorder right now, but I had terrible panic attacks for years. Uh, the way I put it on stage is I have been medically diagnosed as being a pussy. Um, <laughs> But uh, my, my eyes would get really, really messed up and it fucked me up so much. And then one day on a, a lark, I just bought some eye drops and instantly like all my anxiety went away. Mm. It's like, oh, my, wow. my, my eyes were just wonky for a lot of that. Okay, good. Good to know I've been suffering needlessly for years huh. when I just That's needed weird. a $2 bottle of Visine. Yeah, yeah that, that's wild. <laughs> I don't have anything like that yet, but who knows, maybe down the line. Yeah. Um, what do we have here? Oh, uh, Stacked. We meet Stacked. He is a tennis player with Crohn's and a bum knee. He is, I'm actually unsure here. It's not clear whether he's playing Pemulus or playing on a court adjacent to Pemulus or playing doubles with Pemulus. Mm -hmm. um, his drug use is indicated as being touristy. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I like this, this kind of little breakdown of who gets what out of drugs. And one of the infuriating things about Stack is he doesn't really do it just because he gets no relaxation or escapism, more just an excuse to say he actually did it without actually receiving any relief. Mm -hmm. I feel like I know some people like that. Like, I actually wonder that with people who get like, like, for me, alcohol and drugs in general, although I really don't do much, is always very much a, a relief, a relaxation thing. Mm -hmm. And then you see people who like, I want to know what the person who like drinks a lot and gets in a fist fight, like what are you getting out of this? Because right. it seems like you're, you're drinking, <laughs> I guess that's why they call it a drinking problem. You're drinking a problem for later. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I assume at least some of those people are just, like, chemically uh, dependent on alcohol, so they don't really have a choice. But I've, I've moved into the stage of my life where I'm, like, far enough out of college that I now know people who are just, like, the joke is, like, it, it's not alcoholism until graduation. 
Mm-hmm. So like we're now in that point and <laughs> it's sort of been interesting to see people I know like develop these problems, deal with them. We're kind of in that phase where, where people are starting to, to really reckon with that, I guess. So. Well, I, I think the, the, the point where it becomes a bad thing is when like everybody else is like, Oh, everybody else was easily, easily just stopped and went into nine to five jobs and mm-hmm. I can't stop right god this is why both me and all my brothers went to community college and as the oldest uh being the first one who went afterwards i told all of them like no go the fuck away to college this is Mm -hmm. the worst possible thing you can do and i try to explain this to my mom we we don't come from a lot of money and my mom like now you save money go to community college it's like no mom you don't understand if you go away to college Everybody gets fucked up, but then you all have to go to school the next day. So Mm -hmm. it works out. When you're the only one out of your group of friends, you're all going out and then your friends get to stay home and play video games the next day and you got to go to school. The whole fucking thing falls apart. That makes sense. And uh, I will proudly say on on the bones of my brother's potential that I was right, but no one (laughs) listens to Jesse until it's too late. So... um, uh, we get more talk about the the lung, the Enfield Tennis Academy lung. Is this is this Chekhov's outdoor entertainment center lung in that they talk about it so much that at some point it's going to collapse and kill everybody? Or did David Foster Wallace really just want to give us the details of like this inflatable outdoor athletics gazebo? I really think it's the second one. I there's oh, nothing super God. dramatic with it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to spoil that, but nothing, nothing huge. Mm. Stuff still takes place involving mm. it, but it's right. part of the school. Well, let me. All right, let me ask you this: as somebody who loves the book, like those little things where he'll just go on about the outdoor construction of this thing for three mm-hmm. or four or fifteen pages. That is such. That is like the biggest turnoff for me in this book. <laughs> So as somebody who loves the book, like, is that, is that a bug? Is that a feature? Is that something that like the good stuff outweighs it so much? How are you processing those parts when you come to it? So I'd say it's, for me, it's, it's largely a feature that like, and, and I'll say there are definitely parts where he does that, where I don't think he's interesting enough to, um, to sort of justify it. I think a lot of the time, for me at least, he makes it funny or interesting, so I don't mind kind of going on that tangent. <laughs> that okay. that doesn't go anywhere. But all right, so this might be someone just me. All I know is every time I notice, like, oh wait a sec, there's no indentation on this page, and then I check for the next eight pages, and there's no indentation, and my eyes just roll back. <laughs> Uh, okay, they'll be inflating the lungs soon for indoor play when the winter comes. Traditionally, the fourth Monday of November, the upper 18s will get high, eat microwave pizza, and play all night protected by the inflated lung. Uh, randomly, I have here Stitt's philosophical stance is that to win enough of the time to be considered successful, you have to simultaneously care about it a lot and not at all. That goes back to a little bit of the Mary Austin thing we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um this might also be setting up now looking at it now realizing the fourth monday of november we're talking about thanksgiving which this is right around the time that uh pemulus is talking about with hal and i believe axford taking some of the dmz 
Yes. I, I'm right. They're setting up for that. Mm-hmm. Okay. How soon does that come? Because I'm looking for, I know that's it. <laughs> it's later. It's much later. Jesus fucking Christ. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Stacked, stacked, stit. What is this guy's name? I've spelled it like eight different ways in my. Let me look at it. I realized like, um, I've never said a lot of these names out mm. loud. So it's like, I was like, is it Pemulus? Is it Pemulus? Like, mm. how do you say it? How do you say that? I don't it is, know. it is really fucking rude of DFW to have two characters in the same facility. One named Shtit and another named Shtack. Yeah. That is I just... think it's Shacked. Shacked. Okay. So I just mm-hmm. randomly slid a T in here somewhere. Well, it's, uh, it is close to the other name. True. The, the Nazi guy. Mm. Um, Shaq is still playing, but has already given up the dream of going pro. He intends to be some kind of dental affiliate and is already interning on weekends to do so. Hal admires him for giving up the dumb dream. Shaq has taken notice that Hal's explosion in talent seems related to his explosion in obsessive drug use and is pre-pitying him. Which I, I really liked as an idea right there, pre-pitying. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if that's even the words he specifically used, but right. the idea, well, we just talked about that with, uh, you know, it's only alcoholism after graduation, where you can see some people like right in the thick of it, like, oh, it hasn't hit them yet, but that's yeah. going to hit them like a cinder That's going to be a huge problem, yeah. I, like, I feel like pre-pitying, like there's probably one of those crazy eight syllable german compound words that means that <laughs> yeah i'd have to look that up <laughs> uh, pre-pitying him for the inevitable bill that will become from the escapist drug use john wayne and hal are dominating so thoroughly the crowd has stopped applauding them at a certain point it's like applauding the lions versus the christians mm-hmm. nice that's cool yeah and that is all the notes i have for this episode yeah yeah no, I, I, I love the, the therapy chapter. That mm. was like one that definitely, since this book is so freaking huge, there's tons mm. of shit that I don't remember even having read it like twice. It's like, uh, like, you know, there, it's, it's too much, but that was one, like one of the, the many sections that like completely stuck in my head the first time I read it, like the learning how to win therapy kind of a thing. You ever see that tweet? That's like, um, like me making my therapist laugh and be like, ah, oh, good. I will get a good grade in therapy. Something <laughs> that is both normal to want and possible to achieve. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so. I will say one of the things about this book is that I feel like uh, in other books I've read, I don't, it, it tends to be line lines and overall arcs. I remember. Whereas this book, I tend to remember things more as like, Oh, I like that skit. Mm. Which I guess I guess is kind of like a scene. It's just you know what it is. There's so many characters that, from what I'm being promised, don't really connect until the end. That because they're so disconnected, I I think of them as their own little thing. Yeah. So. Well, I was just talking to to one of my friends about this book and and about how sort of it's it's one of the criticisms that people who get recommended this book by assholes um, have about it is that the assholes can't give a good description of it. And I think that has to do with, like, you can actually describe the plot of it pretty easily, just in terms of, like, the the sort of zoomed out thing, like, with right. the entertainment and the terrorists and the U.S. and the Canada. Like, you can do that. Um, but so much of the book is just, like, super, super zoomed in on something that you can't 
see how it fits in until the end or mm. until you think about it, I guess. So, yeah. and that's Not- just so much of it. So reading the individual chapters is it, it it's a little bit like you know trying to see it's like trying to see a dog looking through a cell in a microscope it's like <laughs> right like it's, it's all connected but you're gonna have to pull back a little bit to check it out but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy to say i'm liking the book more as i go along mm-hmm. so i don't know if i'll be a full-on convert but uh we'll see yeah so I, so one of the, the really douchey things that I've said about Infinite Jest, one of many, is that like the term young adult fiction, I don't like that people apply that to, to children's books because it is like books for teenagers or children or whatever. Right. Um, I think that, right. Well, the, I, I was just going to say it's more like a marketing term than anything else. I know, else, I, I know, because like. and, and, teenagers don't want to read children's books, so yeah. they, they like to think of themselves as young. I, I get that, but this is actually a book for young adults. Like, mm-hmm. I think that he was writing, he, he wrote this in his early 30s and was writing for himself, but younger. You know, the thing that writers do where they, they write yeah. the book that they would have wanted to have read. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want, like, a... a I don't want to say more mature, but like a book that speaks to to like older adult concerns. Uh, I don't know if you read The Pale King. I've not read it yet. No, it's extremely good. It's not finished. Obviously, he didn't finish right, it. Right. But it's super good. It's it's more about how um, how how long is it? Uh, Seven hundred I don't know. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> Good question. <laughs> the important question: Does he use footnotes in that one too? He lo- he uses he uses footnotes. He doesn't use endnotes. Okay. Okay. Oh, so it's easier. Gotcha. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, but it's it's more about responsibility and boredom and um, growing up, I guess. Uh, okay. And balancing what is fun with what is necessary kind of a thing Uh, it is a lot it's a book about the irs and people at the irs who have weird powers okay so okay um, might be worth checking out then it's really good it's really good all right well maybe that'll be i mean one of the struggles i've had with this podcast is that uh it's getting to be a little more successful than I anticipated. And now I'm realizing like oh great this might be like the first really successful thing I've worked on and I'm because it's capped, I'm already like a third of the way through it. So ha- what am I going to do once this one is done? So mm-hmm. maybe maybe a breakdown <laughs> of Hell the pale. Maybe. Hey. Maybe. All right. Well, Robin Parrish, thank you very much for doing this. Uh, thank you. Yeah, this, this is was, super fun. This was. This was fun. I'm a, little, I'm a little thrown back. You know what? Because usually we're doing so many smaller sections, it tends to last just a little bit longer. But we had like some nice... This has been like the tightest writing of any section <laughs> I've gone through yet. Yeah, 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 for sure. Which is good. So, all right. But uh, yeah, so thank you for doing it. Uh, if you could remind us again where we could find you online, any tags or websites you might have. Yeah, I mean, I'm all, all the social media, um, R-E-P-A-R-R-I-S-H, comics, C-O-M-I-C-S, um, R-E Parish Comics. Um, yeah. So I'm on Facebook, Instagram, t- Twitter, et cetera. Okay. R.E. Parish Comics on all the things. Uh, Robin, thank you very much for doing this. I'm going to press stop recording, but you and I can still talk for a few more minutes. Cool, cool. Uh, goodbye.